Hello, and welcome to episode 81 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Rick Amarato, director of the Bethesda Urban Partnership. Rick, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for uh, having me. It's a real pleasure. Glad to have you. So the first question I'd like to ask is, what are you currently doing, or what have you ever done to advance the public interest, and why? Okay, well, um, I guess we should start with my, my career has basically been in uh, public service. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've worked in um, a, a few cities, mm-hmm. um, mostly doing economic development or um, downtown management. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's been a, a very interesting experience, uh, my career path, yeah. I'd say. It's, uh, you get to do a lot of interesting things and meet interesting people, so it's been a, it's been a real adventure. How does one get into economic development and, and urban districts? Is that something that you began studying in college, or did you have a mentor? What eventually led you down this path? Uh, well, I was a literature and communications major okay. with, a, with a minor in philosophy, so that doesn't really speak to uh, downtown management. Uh, I was actually here. I was at uh, graduate school here at Georgetown, and mm-hmm. I was studying uh, telecommunication policy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was right around the time that the tech bubble burst at the end of the at the end of the nineties. So yeah. I was really, you know, a lot of my my colleagues were struggling to find work, and I needed to to find work. And I had a uh, corporate communications background, mm-hmm. and uh, I was able to uh, get a position working for the mayor of the city of White Plains. Huh. Um, that was my first foray into into public service. Now, are you from where are you from? I'm from Westchester County, New York. Okay, so you were able to get a job. In where you were from, yes, essentially. Okay, and and that came onto your radar, and and then how did you proceed? What does that job even entail? Well, basically, I was uh, a jack of all trades for the. It was a very small uh, mayor's office. So mm-hmm. I did everything from constituent relations to writing speeches to hmm. putting on events um, to managing, you know, multi-million dollar projects. Uh, and, you know, carrying the mayor's coat and hat and making sure that he got from point A to, to point B. So uh, that, was a, that was a real experience. You know, I, I had never in my life, I didn't even know how to call City Hall. You know, <laughs> you know I'm the person that people are calling, asking questions. So, yeah. Uh, it was a real, kind, it was a real eye-opener for me. And uh, it was a kind of, it was a special time because that's your, your, your first taste of what you can do for a community. Yeah. And uh, that really kind of propelled me into, into what I do now. After a few years there, there was a, a position to open up for the White Plains Business Improvement District. Huh. And uh, that's how I got into downtown management. Uh, we were in the midst of a, uh, a 15-year plan for revitalizing the, the downtown in yeah. White Plains. Uh, timing was right, so we did it in seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew all of the issues that were going on downtown. I knew all the people. I knew how to connect people, so I was a, I was a good fit. So I spent, uh, spent almost 10 years in White Plains. Interesting. So you, it sounds like you were kind of the right-hand man for the mayor uh, in the first job. Did you ever consider becoming mayor? Uh, I have a great deal of respect for, for politicians. It's not, running for office is not something that I would, uh, I, I've, I've ever really considered doing. But I have, I have a great deal of respect. Uh, you have to put yourself out there for the community. Sure. Um, at times, it can be it can seem like a thankless job. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the people I know who do that, they're special. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have they have a drive in them, a passion for that, and uh, you know, it's your name on the vote. Yeah. So I've I've always you know treated all the politicians that I've worked for, irrespective of their party or even even their policies, with uh, 
a lot of respect because I know that they're, they're out there in the community and their reputation's on the line. So. How would you differentiate what you did for that mayor of White Plains with what the mayor was actually doing? Because you mentioned interacting with the constituents, doing constituent services, which often is done by a, an elected official or his staff. Um, you mentioned uh, some other tasks that seem somewhat similar. How, how were they different? Well, uh, the mayor is the public figure. Yeah. He's the man who, um, or woman who makes the decisions. Mm -hmm. you know, as a staffer and an executive branch, or for any, for any elected official, you're there to implement their policies. Sure. Um, that's, you're an extension of uh, their philosophy, their goals, and that sort of thing. And you're really there to make this, see that happen. So, so you were the executive branch rolled into one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did everything. I was the guy. You know those proclamations that, that people read? Yeah. At, uh, you know, your elected official coming read. I wrote those. You yeah. Know, that, that, you know, I did things like that all the way to, um, you know, going to lobby our senators here in D.C. For, for, for transportation dollars for projects that we were doing. So uh, you really, it's a, uh, a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none sort of thing when you get into this kind of... So you evolved into economic development, um, and then eventually to downtown uh, urban district uh, management. What is, how did that transition transpire? Uh, again, you know, when the opportunity came, came up to run the business improvement district in White Plains, I jumped at it. Mm -hmm. um, I represented 300 property owners, mm -hmm. you know, 300 businesses, about 145 properties. Mm -hmm. um, we do a lot of what BUP does. Yeah, here. and BUP, for our listeners, is the Bethesda Urban Partnership. Yes. Uh, it was a little different there because White Plains was a city, had its own government. Mm -hmm. We offered supplemental services, but we were really kind of the boots on the ground for the local businesses and landowners. Sure. Um, from there, I was... Uh, I was offered uh, an opportunity to go to Homestead, Florida. Uh -huh. Now, for those who, who may know that name, if you remember Hurricane Andrew, yeah. Homestead was the, was the community that was well, basically wiped out by Hurricane Andrew in 1992. Oh. So down there, there's pre-Andrew, and then there's post-Andrew. And um, it, you know, uh, it lost more than half its population. People left. Mm -hmm. um, so it really was trying to struggle to get back. Uh, and it's always kind of been struggling. But now... Uh, I went down there and I ran the community redevelopment agency. Like a decade, decade and a half after Hurricane Andrew. Yeah, they were still, they were still, you know, it was a farming community. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, it's uh, been transitioning since the uh, the boom in real estate. Mm -hmm. um, it, uh, you know, there's it's a bedroom community for for downtown Miami. Yeah. Uh, what I tell people and people who are in municipal government uh, after the, the Great Recession. Sure. The city lost. Uh, it went from four billion dollars of assessed value to one point eight. Oh my God! So, uh, so more than fifty percent drop in value. Yes. In like a year or two. Yes. Wow! And that's when you came there. You yes. were inheriting this. Yes. So, what was your challenge there? What were you trying to accomplish? Well, a community redevelopment agency is is basically um, a government agency that uh, is there to specifically fix a problem. Uh, sure. You have to find slum and blight, and it's it's. Uh, Funded through TIF revenue, both by the county and uh, and what is TIF? It's tax incremental financing or tax in incremental revenue. Um, so basically, you have a a base year. Uh -huh. Let's say, just to use round numbers, the um, base ass assessment was a hundred thousand dollars in the year it was nineteen ninety four when it was started, hmm. right? and then the next year, it uh, they increased to two hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. This organization would get. It would be a 90, great year. It would be a great year. <laughs> would get $90,000, and, and they would use that money to do specific programs. Oh. Yes. 
Interesting. So, okay, so they they get a proportion of the increase in in the property valuation. Exactly. And that is the funding mechanism. And what's the purpose? What's the charter or mandate of well, this? Well, it depends on the the CRA that's created. It's usually for some. What's the CRE? The Community Redevelopment Agency. So, okay. Um, and there's there's a bunch of them throughout Florida. Mm-hmm. And some, you know, they do straight infrastructure uh, projects. The the idea is that you. You bond, mm-hmm. you get a bunch of money up front, and mm-hmm. you use your TIF revenues, your future TIF revenues, mm-hmm. to pay that bond over 20, 30 years, or whatever it is. So, oh, so the TIF revenues are debt service. You, yeah, you can use them as debt service. You, okay. can use a, you, can, you, know, you can save up some money and do things. It depends yeah. on what you want to do. You can build infrastructure. Um, so what are some examples? Bought, you build a school or, or a city hall and a, and a police building, right? Uh, the city hall was, was paid for by other funds. Okay. Um, what we did, for example, we, we would do um, affordable housing um, rehabilitation. Huh. You know, we didn't have uh, millions of dollars to do affordable housing projects like you would need, but what you can do in a community is make sure that the stock of affordable housing that's there is, um, you know, will survive and continue to be there. Mm-hmm. So we would do things like um, fix a roof, mm-hmm. uh, fix a, cra- a cracked foundation, plumbing, electrical. It is Florida, so we, we wanted to get people storm windows yeah. and um, shutters, yeah. hurricane shutters. Huh. So you, if you were, if you were uh, within the CRA district and um, you met certain income requirements that were based on, on HUD uh-huh. uh, levels. Uh, and HUD is the Housing and Urban yeah. Development Authority for the federal government. Right. Okay. Uh, most organizations use their income rates. So uh, you could get a $10,000, $15,000 uh, grant. So and you didn't have to repay it. You, Interesting. Yes, yeah, so as long as you didn't sell your house for two years, you know you uh, you didn't have to repay it. So, so how they define the boundaries of the CRA? That's done when they start the uh, when they uh, create it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have to go. It's like an urban district. You have to say these are the boundaries that we want, and uh-huh. within these boundaries, this is uh, what we want to do. And why would the residents and businesses opt to impose a greater tax, essentially, on them. Well, it's not a greater tax. It's okay. taking the taxes that they would normally pay uh-huh. and funneling them to an organization that's right there in the community and knows what the specific issues are that need to be fixed. So it was a hit for the general funds of the county or the state, but in exchange, actually, the community was taking on some of the services that the county or state would have taken on themselves. So therefore, it was just kind of a transferring of power and funds to a more local authority to provide similar services that were already being it's uh, supplemental services. You can't um, replace what the, the local municipality would have to do, uh-huh. um, but you were able to take those funds and allocate them for specific issues. Were munici- was the municipality receiving fewer revenues as a result of this? Uh, they were no, they were getting the same amount of money that they would normally get, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, they had a lot more control over how it was used. So, so if the homeowner, if the property owners weren't taxed more. Was the state receiving less? Where was this money coming? Ca- the county was receiving less. The county was receiving less, and, were, and they were providing the same amount of services mm-hmm. to the area. So was there pushback from the county elected officials? Well, it, <laughs> there, you know, there's uh, always a tension yeah. uh, because you have two funding sources. Right. And the way the legislation was written in our interlocal agreement with the county that governs how our, our specific CRA was And was the legislation written in Tallahassee? Yes. Okay. There, it's, it's a state, state um, law that mm-hmm. allows the creation, but then you, you, have to, you, know, you have to have a, an agreement with the county and the municipality that has it. Sure. So, uh, it gave most of the authorization for budgeting and funding to the um, our our council, mm-hmm. uh, which was the governing body. 
Hmm. Um, so we had to tell them what we were going to spend our money on, and it had to be on for specific things. Mm -hmm. It was a very flexible uh, plan, so mm -hmm. we could do a lot of things, uh, but they really couldn't tell us not to do it. So. so what gets you going about this? I mean, why did you, when, when you were in Florida, what did you wake up every morning feeling? Why did you, what was it about fixing roofs and crack foundations and putting hurricane windows on? You know, we did, that was just one of the, well, first of all, you know, when someone comes in your office yeah. and they're elderly yeah. and they don't have a lot of resources and they've lived in this house for, for their whole life. Um, you know, the ability to help them. Mm -hmm. That's gratifying. I mean, just from on a, on a human level, you know how important this is for them. So um, I've been fortunate enough in, in two places, in White Plains, where we did a lot of economic development, where we were trying to take a downtown that mm -hmm. had suffered greatly mm -hmm. um, in the past decades. You know, we had almost 36% uh, vacancy rate, corporate vacancy rate in downtown, uh, downtown White Plains. So, mm -hmm. um, and in Homestead, where we were trying to grow uh, the historic downtown and bring it back. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't really get to do that that often in your in your career, and I've had a chance to do it twice. Um, so that really gets me energized. For example, they have a theater there <laughs> called the Seminole Theater that uh, was built in the twenties, uh, burned down, rebuilt. It was um, they had they had uh, it was the center of culture for yeah. South Dade for for a very long time, uh -huh. and then its uh, last iteration it was it was actually the center of the migrant farm workers. Hmm. So. Uh, a lot of them came from Mexico. If a, if a new movie opened up in Mexico City, it opened up this theater. It was a movie. It was a movie theater. Huh. Long history. It's right on the main street. Yeah. Well, in the, in the 80s, it kind of, um, in the 80s, it, uh, it closed down, and then Andrew came and ripped the roof off. All right. So for 40 years, this community was trying to get the Seminole Theater built and up and running. Mm -hmm. It's a cornerstone of, of its history, and, mm -hmm. its, uh, you know, and for 40 years, they just couldn't do it. You know, they, they would have fits and starts. Mm -hmm. They would get some money, and then there'd be a recession mm -hmm. or something. There was always something that happened, and we were finally able to get that open. Mm -hmm. and, wow! Yes, and every and I remember sitting in the in the uh, in city hall yeah. with people who had been in the community for thirty years, and we asked them, you know, you think the community would would support this? Mm -hmm. You know, no, it hmm. just can't be done. It's not going to be done, and. We actually had to go out and have a general obligation bond. We had to ask the people in the city mm -hmm. to raise their taxes to do it. And it took a, an incredible amount of work mm -hmm. in the community to get them to support. And they, they passed the referendum, 65%. Mm -hmm. So we were able to get $5 million, get some grants from the, from the, the state, mm -hmm. uh, about a million dollars in grants, and nine months of construction. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you... If, I had no idea because I'd never done it before. But renovating a hundred-year-old building is just—I do not recommend it. <laughs> it is uh, an extremely arduous process. Uh, a lot of hard work, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into it. But uh, the day that that opened, after you know seeing all these people in the community that that wanted it and but thought it could never happen, yeah, I mean, that gets you excited. You know, you want to do the things that people say can't be done. Huh. And, and you were able to do that. You were able to get... And what was the result? What is, what is happening with that theater today? It's open. It's operating. It's a 410-seat theater. Uh, it has everything, all different kinds of, of cultural um, performances, mm -hmm. um, music, plays. So the, the people use it. And did, yeah. did anyone, after it was built and, and a year or so later, did anyone ever regret having uh, levied taxes upon themselves? Uh, not that I heard of. You People know, they're, they're in they're in, the, they're in their second in their second season. Yeah, you know I still I still um, follow it. You know I, I spent two years of my of my life trying to get that thing up and operating. So so and then just to bounce back to New York for a moment, 
Um, you mentioned the 37% vacancy rate uh, among commercial properties in White Plains, and that was what you inherited. What is it now, or what did you leave it as when you? Uh, it was below 10 when uh, when I left. Really? But yeah, you know, there's a couple of things when it comes to um, redevelopment or or change in a in a community. You need a couple of things for that to happen. You need to have political will, mm-hmm. and, and that comes from the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're seeing that now with the Bethesda sector plan. Right? It's like a community relations campaign. Well, no, it's the people want to. Ha- they need to want to have the change. Mm-hmm. Um, if the people want to have the change, the elected officials, you know, they they're going to want to have the change as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. You need to have a really good plan, mm-hmm. and you need to be disciplined about it. Mm-hmm. If you have those three things, you can you can do amazing amazing things in a community. And, you know, fortunately, I've, I've had that in two places. So the businesses are still thriving in White Plains. You had a 27% reduction in the vacancy rate. Mm-hmm. So that's better for property owners. It makes the town more vibrant. How did you en- entice a few people to come, a few businesses to set up shop? Well, uh, we had to do, um, we kind of had to put our money where our mouth was. Uh, so the city invested $23 million in a uh, new parking garage hmm. um, and we worked with a developer and they and we had a block we had an old Macy's mm-hmm. right in the heart of our, our, our downtown Main Street and Mamaroneck Avenue which is the and Mamaroneck Avenue was the old kind of uh, downtown that you imagine in, in most cities yeah and, and that that block was empty for 10 years huh so we had a developer come in a couple of fits and starts uh, and we ended up opening up a 15 screen movie theater we built another uh, a performing arts center. Hmm. Um, a Target came in, and it was really it was really the city saying, "Look, we're going to work with people," and it, and we increased density and height and things like that right in the core so of you, downtown. You provided some amenities, some anchors. You beautified the area. You made a few investments, made it a more attractive location for pedestrian traffic, and mm-hmm. and therefore became a more attractive location for businesses that thought, look, if I locate here, I may get some traffic. This may be a destination people want to go to that may help my business. You, I've actually I've heard it here. You know how um, Bethesda many years ago at 5 o'clock, everybody kind of like the sidewalks rolled up and everybody went home. Yeah. And, um, White Plains was a lot like that. Huh. It was a, a, a commuter city, um, yeah. you know, a bedroom community for, for uh New York City, yeah, and there wasn't really a lot to do downtown and things like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, we kind of it's you know suburban living with urban amenities, yeah, and, and you know you, you see that in a lot of communities based around mass transit, mm-hmm. like we have here. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of similarities between um, Bethesda and and White Plains. So I want to move into these this air the, the the White Plains, the Florida, and the Bethesda. Thing I sense that you, in in a way, are are literally a community builder. Um, in a way, you're building communities, and you've been primarily in the course of your career involved with three separate communities. Can you reflect a little bit about the differences and similarities between the different communities, and and what's special about each one of those, and and how that helped you or hindered you doing your job? I think the the common thread between all of them is there are people in the community that really care. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've been here a short while, but um, the, the members of, Bup, of BUPS board, mm-hmm. um, the people that I see out at events in, in the community, this, this is a very highly educated, extremely passionate community. And um, they care about the little details mm-hmm. in, in their community. They mm-hmm. want to see, they, want, they have this sense of, you know, we're going to be excellent at what at what we do mm-hmm. and implement everything uh, to the best of the standards. And so I've seen that in other communities and that's in, that's why they're successful. You know, you have to have that, that, that passion for where you live. Some, you know, 
there's what over a million people in this county yes right so how many people actively participate in their government even if you say it's 50,000 yes. you know it's it's you know there's really that that core group of people that right. are really engaged mm -hmm. and you have to take that passion and you and you and you've got to kind of figure out where they want to go with it and harness it you know um, I'm not the type you know you can't come in and say your community should do X, Y, and Z. Right. The community tells you what they want. And, and you execute. And it's your job to go out and do it. So, you know, you've done a lot for these communities, isn't it? And, and I imagine you've become quite a valued member of these communities. Isn't it tough to leave and relocate from New York to Florida, relocate up to Maryland from Florida? Well, it's, uh, you know, I came, I, I started looking for, for a position up here for personal reasons. I wanted to be closer to family. Right. Um, I have a three-year-old son. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my wife as well. She she wanted to come. She has her family. So grandma's five hours away now as opposed to 25 hours exactly. or whatever. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it's, it was difficult. Yeah. I, I will say it was very difficult to, to leave White Plains. And, you know, I, you know, every community has a blog. I still read read the community blog. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can't let go. I still, um, I'm in touch with my, with my colleagues down in, in Florida as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, yeah, emotionally change can be tough, but mm -hmm. you know, that's how you grow. It's, it's new experiences, um, new relationships. So take what you learned and, and, and try to do even more. So as we near the end of this podcast, I'd like to ask you a final question about these communities and ask you to reflect upon your years in contributing to the development of these communities, not just physically, but what they really mean, what it means when someone identifies with this place and how you've contributed to it and why. Why has it been, so you've mentioned a, little, a few examples of how it's been rewarding, but what is it that you hope to leave behind? What is your legacy of having helped build these communities and really what community do you feel a part of? How do you define the community in which you're a part of, Rick? Well, you know, Bethesda is going to be my home now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, this is where I've chosen to raise my family. Sure. Um, you know, I'm kind of burning my, my, my ships on the beaches, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you know, in 100 years... Um, Nobody's going to, you know, somebody goes to that theater in, in, in Homestead, they're not going to know who I am. They go to the new city hall, they're not going to know. And in 100 years, they're not going to know my name in Bethesda. Mm -hmm. But you leave your legacy, you know, you know that you, you've helped people. Um, you know, this organization is, is run um, extremely well, and it has for, for many years, and it's had a very good impact on the, in the community. Everybody knows uh, Buff, and they see our guys out there. Mm -hmm. And um, my hope is that, you know, we can help manage the city as it grows in the next 20 years. You know, that, that's, I think, the legacy that I want to have here. I want to know that I left this place um, on the right path that it wants to go. And then somebody else, you know, they'll come in and, and they'll eventually, you know, be the ones who take over. So uh, my time here, I hopefully I can, I can make a difference. I can make people's lives a little bit better and make the downtown, you know, the best place that it can possibly be. So that's Rick Amarato, uh, executive director of the Bethesda Urban Partnership, who speaks about building communities and as as a, really maintaining communities, and that the ship of state really um, requires operational expertise. His dedication 
is to perpetuating uh, and building upon what has come before him and improving it and ensuring that the community is there to serve those who live in the community while he's there and while they're there. That really providing a better community in the present and creating um, uh, uh, to, to bequeath a community to the next person who falls in his footsteps that um, he would be proud of, that's a little bit better than he found it. At the end of the day, uh, that's what's important to Rick, is that he was there, he was able to improve the community, um, and, uh, and a lot is, is about maintaining and building upon what, what happened when you came before him. So, uh, Rick, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And this has been Episode 81 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.